What a blessing. It's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word to Exodus chapter 19 this morning. We're going to be looking at the section before and after the Ten Commandments. So we'll be in Exodus 19 verses 16 through 18 and chapter 20 and verses 18 through 21 and then looking at other scripture this morning as well. In a moment, I'm actually going to read out of Psalm 46. I'll remind you that we are we're continuing our sermon series called Things. Uh, you know, one of the things that the Bible tells us is that God has revealed Himself in the very created order. Now, that is not revelation that is sufficient enough to save, for we need the special revelation that God has given us in His Word to tell us the true story of the world so we can make sense out of the world that God has made. We need to know who the Lord Jesus is and what He's done for us. And the, the Scripture tells us that. But for those who have their eyes open through faith in Christ, now we look at a world and all things have been made new. And we're able to trace, as C.S. Lewis says, the sunbeam back to the sun. We're able to see in the world that God has made all kinds of things that point beyond themselves. They point to the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer of all things. And we want, brothers and sisters, to have eyes to see. So it's my great joy to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our Sovereign God. Knowing that in the Scripture and in the Scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Join me in prayer. Oh Lord, thank You. Thank You for the truth of what we have sung, you are worthy. You are worthy in all things. May your worthiness be heavy upon our lives. May your worthiness be the reality in which we do and say all that we do and say. And may we re remember your worthiness in every moment. When the health is good and when it's bad. When the money is plentiful and when it is scarce. Lord, you indeed are worthy. Help us to see that more clearly. And use a thing in our world to help us to see it. We pray it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we open Exodus 19... The people of God, Israel, are gathered around Mount Sinai. And as this 
massive humanity gathers around Mount Sinai, <clears throat> I can only imagine the conversations that are going on. For it's been about three months after God's deliverance of them from bondage in Egypt. God had parted the Red Sea. This people walked across. The fighting force, the strongest fighting force in the world at that time chased after them and the waters crashed down upon them and they sang spontaneously on the other side, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is His name. They sung about how He had delivered them. And now, three months later, they gather around this mountain. And of all of the things that are said, I am pretty sure that there was somebody who was reminding people in that crowd of God's promise. God's promise in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. It tells us this, But He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Here we are. Somebody had to be saying. How important is this time as the people gather around this mountain? Well, the rest of the book of Exodus covers about one year, and that's 59 chapters. God had said, I will be with you. Here's the sign. You will worship and serve me on this mountain. Moses is commanded by God here to prepare the redeemed people of God to experience God's glory. That's what he's doing. He's preparing them for that. God's glory would be experienced in His presence. He would be among them. And God's glory would be experienced in His Word. Most specifically, the Ten Commandments are, are what's called the Ten Words. As God speaks and it is recorded on tablets of stone. His Ten Words. The law of liberty for His redeemed people. Those words that reflect His character and point us to our need of Him to be our deliverer. And that's exactly what He says. In fact, the, the, the preface of the Ten Commandments says this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh, your God. I am, I am the covenant God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. But you know, God accompanies the revelation of His presence in His Word with a variety of things, with all kinds of physical phenomenon, so that we will be reminded of who He is, and how we are to think about Him. You see, it's not the phenomenon that gives us the message, it is the God who has given the phenomenon. And it, it, it points beyond that to Him. And there are things, there are reminders in this world that God has given us that we would live for Him in a way that is faithful. Something as simple as we've already seen as dust. 
is to remind us who he is and who we are without him. Something like the stars in the heaven as we remember his covenant promise. And today, of of all of this phenomenon that that symbolizes his presence, and, and his presence as a God who speaks his word, the thing that we are focusing on at the heart of this phenomenon is this. In Job chapter 6, God shakes the earth. Earthquakes. God's presence and God's word. There is so often the shaking of the earth. And God has a thing, an earthquake, to remind us of very important things that we ought to remember. The biggest earthquake in American history took place in Alaska it was 9.2 in the Rick, on the Richter scale. Kentucky is not a place you often think about a lot of earthquakes, but in 1980 in Bath County, there was an earthquake that registered 3.2 on the Richter scale and t- killed two people and did, um, I think it was $3 million in damage. Last year, there were 223 recorded earthquakes in Kentucky that registered on the Richter scale. Most of them nobody felt, but there was one in August that all of the three local news stations carried that was in Garrett County where people actually felt it and had to grab onto stuff. No major damage done. But this is one of those things that God goes out of His way in His Word to say when this happens, Remember this. Let's consider it together this morning. First of all, in Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 16 through 18, earthquakes should remind us of God's glory. Or, or, Or this, earthquakes should remind us of God's glorious presence. Look with me at Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God is is having these encounters with Moses. Moses goes up three times. God speaks to him. Moses comes down. He instructs the people and he warns the people. But one thing that God says here, this is what I've done for this people whom I am here for, whom I am speaking to. I punished the Egyptians. I rescued them. And I brought them to myself here at Mount Sinai. But but notice what God is preparing Moses to prepare the people for. Verse 9, Behold, I am coming to you. I am coming. Used throughout the Old Testament for not only the appearance of God, but when that language is used, it's most often the intervention of God. God acting on behalf of His people. God is meeting His people at Mount Sinai. Moses, the the mediator, the the go-between is to prepare them for that meeting. In Exodus 19, verse 11, For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. And so Moses is preparing them for God's glorious presence. He gives them warnings about not coming too close to the mountain. There are boundaries that you that you should not pass, because if you pass by those boundaries, you will die. They are not to touch the mountain. 
Verse 13, no hand shall touch him who touches the mountain. All of these warnings, they are to be washed and, and consecrated, set apart. There, there's a period in which they're not to be involved in sexual relations, but they are preparing themselves for this, this meeting with God in His glorious presence as He manifests Himself on this mountain that He has redeemed His people and delivered them to. And now He's going to reveal Himself and His character to them. But the scene is absolutely, completely terrifying I want you to feel it so often we take an almost cartoonish attitude toward a lot of the stories particularly in the Old Testament but think about what this people has seen think about the way their heart was pounding in their chest as they were about to be slaughtered on the banks of the Red Sea. Think about how unsettling that moment was, and yet they were delivered, and they don't even really understand it, but they know they didn't do it. And now three months later, they find themselves at, at a mountain, and they were delivered, but now are these, these warnings. Don't, don't go too close or you will die. And don't touch somebody who goes too close or you will die. And wash yourself and prepare yourself and stay pure during this period. Remembering God's promise, but this is also heavy. It's also weighty. How terrifying it must have been. Look at verse 16 of Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings. Notice the plural. They were repeated. This is what's going on. And so not only is there the foreboding of where you can go and the threat of death, and, and now they gather here as they've been summoned here on the third day as, as promised. And there is, is lightnings and there are, there's thunder. And you can feel the ground moving with the thunder. And there is a thick cloud on the mountain. And there's a very loud trumpet blast so that all of the people in the camp trembled. Now, he uses the word trembled here, which means shaking and quaking. It's going to be the same word he uses for the earthquake. So God is preparing them for this sign of who he is by an earthquake, by causing them to have a self-quake. They are they're shaking, they're, they're trembling. And, and, and we, we tend to want to say here, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, come on. And no, they should be. They should be. Chronicles of Narnia, the line where Lucy said, Aslan is a lion? I thought he was a man. And the dialogue goes on and she said, a lion? Is he safe? And the answer comes back. Safe? Of course not. But he's good. In fact, it says, if your knees do not knock in his presence, you either don't understand or you are just silly. Is he safe? No. But he is good. And here is this people who are 
having their own quake. Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The veiled presence of the Lord. It has to be veiled or they would all die. But it is there. And it says the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The only other time that is used is in Genesis 19.28 for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln. And it says, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Same word. It shook, it quaked. The people are quaking and shaking, and now the mountain joins in. The appearances of God are often accompanied by this this shaking, this this trembling, these earthquakes, these rocks splitting. Psalm 99 verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. But why? Why is the Lord's appearance, His presence, His words, why are they often associated with shaking, even of the earth? Glory, that's why. Glory. The reason we sing that He is worthy is because He is glorious. Glory. We we often think of glory, splendor and light, and, and all of those have a sense of the Bible's use of glory, but there is a particular word in Hebrew that is used that that has a specific focus on its explanation of glory. It's the word used here, kabod. And it means heavy, weighty. It's a a heaviness, a, a weightiness. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.17 Uh, uses it just in that way when he says this, for this light momentary affliction. Now stop right there. If you know the story of Paul's life, do you think that he lived a life of light momentary affliction? Beaten, people turned their backs on him, uh, left for dead all the time, and uh, persecuted, thrown in prison unjustly over and over again. He says, I bear in my body the marks of serving Jesus. We would, we would not tend to think that is momentary light affliction, but it has to be seen in relation to something else. And the something else is so much heavier than the weight of the affliction that it says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The weight of eternal glory is so much that when the scales are here, it's all the way down and momentary light affliction, no matter what it is here and now, is all the way up. And everything here and now is momentary light affliction would compare to the eternal weight of glory. It is the heaviness that outweighs everything else. Even all the other things in our lives that feel 
heavy, heavy, weight, gravitas. So when God's glory appears, His weight is weightier than anything else. Get this. If you were to to have some kind of flimsy bench here, and you were to put something way too heavy to go on that bench, what would happen? That bench would start shaking, and it would probably break. One time I sat in one of those old fold-out chairs and sat in it, and it started shaking, and I don't move too well, so I thought, get up before you fall. Guess what? Didn't make it. The shaking led to a collapse. That's when something too heavy is on something too flimsy. That's what's being said here. When something too heavy is on something flimsy, there is a quaking, there is a shaking, and ultimately what is heavy prevails. Think about when you arm wrestle somebody. You get there? Guess what? Your hand stays perfectly still throughout the whole thing, right? No. You go. Now the person who starts winning gets still. The person who's trying not to be put down shakes and shakes and shakes and then boom! That's the idea here. Glory. God's presence is heavier than anything else in the cosmos. God's Word is weightier than anything else in the cosmos. And when God comes to this world with His presence, there is a rightful shaking. When God's Word comes, there is a rightful shaking of all that is here. Nothing is weightier than God's glory. So wherever God's glory descends, there is a quaking. And and whatever it is, is forced to reorient itself to the weight of God's glory. The fold-out chair I sat in reoriented himself to my overweightness. Now it was a beach chair that goes right on the ground. But God's glory always forces a reorientation. Nobody ever is in God's presence and says, no big deal, nothing's changed. Glory, that's why. That's why there is the shaking or quaking. We, we, that, that first heading could sound like this. Earthquake should remind us of God's weighty presence. That's what it means to say God's glorious presence. But secondly... Earthquake should remind us of God's glorious convicting Word. Or say it like this, earthquake should remind us of God's weighty convicting Word. Isaiah 6, 1-5, God comes to the prophet Isaiah in his call. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon the throne, and He was high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. And above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His his feet, and with two He flew. And And one called to another and said this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called and the house was filled with smoke. 
And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you see that picture? There He is, and and it's in this particular historical moment, but, but God comes and reveals His presence, mediated, but yet there. And it is, it, it is so much that even the angels in the heaven declare He is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of His glory. But notice the response of Isaiah to the quaking. Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Do you see? God comes in His glory. God speaks, and it brings conviction. To say I'm a man of unclean lips is to say I'm a sinner. It's evident on my lips. Jesus uses the same sort of analogy. I am a sinner. He is glorious, and I am guilty. He is weighty, and I am light. Changes us. It has to. Now back to Exodus. In Exodus 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, these, these ten words, they, by the way, they, they are prophetic words that reveal God's character that will ultimately be vindicated. And they are to reveal to us our guilt and the fact that they don't reveal our character. They pronounce us guilty and we are to look to God for the answer that He gives. He gives that answer because there is only one who fulfilled the law perfectly. His name was Jesus, God the Son, who took on flesh and came to die for guilty sinners. And we look to Him and through faith in Him, we love God's law and want to reflect His character in the world, not because we offer Him up. Our character is our basis of salvation. That is only in the Son, Jesus Christ alone, but because we love God our Father. Because we are overwhelmed with the grace that our elder brother Christ has shown us. Because the Holy Spirit leads us to reflect Christ who fully obeyed the will of the Father. And so we can now call the law, now that we are saved from its demands, we can call it wonderful, glorious, because it reflects the character of God. It is weighty in our lives, but apart from Christ, it's what pronounces us guilty. There's a prophetic aspect to the Ten Commandments that ultimately points us to the destiny of all men. And so in Exodus 20, 3-17, we have the God giving His Word in that way, but here's the response in Exodus 20, beginning in verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They quaked. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. What's going on now? See, God's revelation of Himself and the phenomena associated with it 
have communicated something to them about His holiness. Holy, holy, holy. His glory, His weightiness. And now when they consider themselves, they know they are not fit to be in the presence of God. They need a mediator. God provided a mediator that He invited to come speak to them, named Moses. And so now they understand, we need to hear from God, but I'm not running up to God, because I'm not fit to do that. Do not let Him speak to us, meaning directly. But Moses, you tell us His words. Oh, we need His presence, we need His Word, but we need a mediator to give it to us. And then verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you that you may not sin. You know what you have right there? Discipleship 101. It's kind of like Jesus saying, Take up your cross and follow me. Or Jesus saying, do not fear the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Fear the one who ultimately has control over body and soul. See, it's discipleship 101. We do what we do in rebellion to God because we listen to voices other than God. Fear not. He's come to test you. All of this is to teach you who He is. That you may fear Him. Reverence is not quite enough. There is a trembling worship that's being called for here. There is a quaking worship. Because when you are in His presence, you you can't say it's it's not frightening. But He is good and he is for us you see the reason we can walk through the red sea is because he is worthy of our fear but the reason he delivered us is because he uses his might for the good of his people and the very thing that causes us to rightly fear him causes us to trust him And when we trust Him and fear Him rightly, none of the other stuff that we would normally fear looks the same. There are all kinds of people that go through life and do not fear Him. They trust in horses and chariots, and a whole group of them ended up on the bottom of the Red Sea. And a group of people with pots and pans were singing at the end of the day. You see, this is discipleship, brothers and sisters. And it's why the reason so much Christian hand-wringing today, because the world's so bad, how will we ever go on? And Stop it! You know how we go on? Because we do not fear the world. We do not fear the government. We do not fear all of the things happening around us. Oh, some of it breaks our heart. We call things what they are. There's all kinds of things going on around us that are terrible, that are going to sabotage people's lives. And a lot of the governmental direction which we're leading people is horrific. But we are the people of God. Glory! When you forget that, you have forgotten glory. 
Too often we act like everything else is weightier. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you. Did you get that last part? That you may not sin. God's weighty, convicting Word transforms us. Sanctification. So if you treat anything else as weightier than God's glory, and you tremble before it in a way that you should only tremble before the Lord God Almighty, then you will sin. In fact, that is in and of itself sin. Discipleship 101. Finally, earthquakes should remind us of God's glorious gospel. You say, earthquakes remind us of the gospel? Yeah. You ever read the gospels? Let's try this morning Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus cried out again and a loud, with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. Jesus on the cross, the Son of God, the sinless One, crucified, cursed by the Father for us, bearing the sin of guilty people, though He was sinless. He cried out with a loud voice and He yielded up His Spirit. And verse 51 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus now provides us access to the Father from top to bottom. And the earth shook and rocks were split. What happened at Jesus' crucifixion? A manifestation of glory. The weightiest event in the history of the world took place. The reason God said, let there be light, was happening in time and space and history as God has been committed to redeem a people. And as the Son of God was being crucified and treated like a guilty sinner, there is the shaking of the earth so we would remember and understand the weightiness of that moment. But also, we go to Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Oh, Jesus is dead and buried. He's in the tomb. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. An earthquake. God comes and Jesus is crucified and the earth shakes. Jesus rises from the dead and the earth shakes. Glory. Glory. The glory of God is weightier than all of our fiercest enemies, including sin and death. That's what's being communicated here. If the glory of God is weightier than sin and death, it's weightier than all that other stuff. All that other stuff that we tend to fixate on. And instead of trusting Him, we want to be Him. and We want things to be just like we want it to be. And, and it, if only I could get this person to say this to me, or this to happen, and this job, and th th then it would all work out. And the Bible is screaming at us. And if necessary, I pray, shakes us. 
to remember that your longings apart from God are not glory. They must be submitted to glory. If God the Son was crucified, if God the Son was raised from the dead, then everything else is footnotes. You have been delivered into glory and you should never ever fear anything else in the same way again. His glorious crucifixion and resurrection displace, destroy, and do away with sin and death. Why? They are weightier. Sin and death are those things that weigh us down. Yes. Oh, but there is something weightier. And it's what we've gathered here and has brought us here this very day. That's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, he is absolutely referencing Exodus 19 and Exodus 20. And he says, for the people that are in Christ, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom, get this, that cannot be shaken. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Being ushered into the kingdom of Christ that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Then verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. With fear and awe, we worship Him because we know He is worthy of our worship. And we know that that, that He has delivered us in Christ to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Not that it will not be shaken. Get this, it cannot be shaken. Why is it it cannot be shaken? Glory of God. Nothing else is weightier. When the glory comes down and ultimately delivers the kingdom in a new heaven and new earth, there is nothing else weightier that can be put on top of that. It is the weightiness. It will fully and finally have displaced everything else. And what will reign forever is the glory of God in a new heaven and new earth, even outside of the very presence of sin. Oh, He is worthy of our worship and all. He's delivered us to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. For our God is a consuming fire. But I want you to know one important contrast. Not everybody puts their faith in Christ. Not everybody trusts this glorious promise and this glorious Christ. In the book of Revelation, there is this Awful scene in Revelation chapter 6. And it speaks of those who get to the end without Christ. It, it, it sounds like this. Revelation 6.15 Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, get this, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us. From what? From the face of Him who is seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. You see, His glorious presence brings good news and judgment. For all who are apart from Him, 
He says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The answer is no one. So people who had always moved away from from earthquakes and things like that and feared them are are now in the face of a, a greater fear, begging the mountain to fall on them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has a sermon called Earthquake But Not Heartquake out of Psalm 46, and he ends it like this. I thought as I read my text what an awful case the ungodly must be in. For the very things which men most dread, namely the falling of mountains and the gaping open of the earth, will become the desire of terrified sinners who reject Christ in the end. How great must be that horror which altogether eclipses the horror which sends myriads flying into panic from their homes. When sinners shall see the face of Christ in His glory, they will entreat the mountains to fall upon them and the rocks to cover them, to hide them from the dreadful vision. The face of love is terrible to those who have rejected it. O sinners, what will be your anguish when you shall seek for death and shall not find it? What will be your dismay when even a tottering mountain reeling with earthquake shall be recorded as a friend compared to the glory of Christ? Oh, that you would escape the wrath to come. Oh, that you would by faith take Jesus to be your refuge and strength. And that is my plea for you today. Flee to Christ. He is our only hope. And for those who are in Christ, Be thankful, for He has delivered us to a kingdom that in a world of earthquakes cannot be shaken. And one day, earthquakes for the people who are with Him will be no more. Until then, we remember His weighty presence. We remember His weighty word and we remember His weighty gospel. Let us pray. Lord, help us. Help us to apply Your words. Help us to apply our lives to Your words. Lord, help us to see and to feel this very morning the weight of Your glory. The weight of your glory is so great that there is none who are beyond being delivered. But Lord, the weight of your glory is so great for those who reject it. They will wish that they were crushed by a mountain rather than having the responsibility to see the face of love that they rejected. But Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for many. And it would be a day of hope for all. And Lord, I pray today specifically that we would never be the same. Because we have met you in your word this very day. In Christ's name, amen.